0: Working Class Audio is brought to you by Roswell Pro Audio, Gearsluts.com, The License Lab, Audio Technica, and Universal Audio. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 192. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is Session 192 you're listening to. My guest today is Ryan Earnhardt. You know him from Creative Sound Lab. Maybe you've seen his YouTube videos or you've uh, checked out some of his audio courses. He does some great stuff, and he does it out of his studio called Lumen Audio, and that's located in a former 1920s appliance store, which is located in downtown Canton North Carolina. You thought I was going to say Canton, Ohio, didn't you? I bet you did, because that's what I thought when I saw Canton, and I had to look it up to confirm. And as it turns out, Canton, North Carolina, which is classified as a town, was named after Canton, Ohio, the city. Very strange. Anyway, random facts for you. You can look it up yourself. I Googled it. You can do the same. Check it out. It's very interesting. Anyways, Ryan is a fantastic guy doing great work, and he is our guest today. So Ryan Earnhardt coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. All right, get your coffee. I have a confession to make. All right, so you know how I always talk about purging, cleaning, doing all that? shrinking down the stuff in your life. I've left one element of that out of my own life. And I have to confess to everybody. I've come to the conclusion today that I am a computer hoarder. It's a hard thing to admit, but I'm cleaning up today. It's a Saturday as I record this and I'm here in the studio and I'm let me count these really quick. So I've got one, two, three, four, five, six. 789. Okay. There's 9 computers in this studio right now. 2 of them are in full-time use. 2 of them. Yeah. That's really embarrassing. Now, there's a little bit of a story behind that though. Some of them are old computers that I just I haven't gotten rid of them cuz, you know, there's that someday factor, right? What am I going to do with those? I got to get rid of them. And the other part of that is, is I have a a deal with a friend. He uh, is a Mac repair guy, computer repair guy in general, but Mac repair guy. And he gives me old machines that he wipes and he gives them to me to gift to people who are in financial need. That's our little deal. It's kind of a, a thing we do. He calls me and he says, "Okay, I've got, you know, five computers and you can't sell them, but you can gift them to people who are in need. And so that's that's what we do. And sometimes, some of those computers hang out for longer than they should, and uh, it takes me a while to get around to refurbishing them and cleaning them up for people, but some of these machines are mine that I've held on to for a long time, because I think, well, I'll make something out of them, and quite honestly, I just don't, so. That's my confession. Um, there's a lot of free stuff in life, pianos, kittens. And believe it or not, computers. They may not be top of the line. They they may not be cutting edge computers, but they're free. And um, yeah, if you can, resist them because they'll just pile up in your life and you won't get rid of them. So that's where I am today. I'm stuck and I've got to get rid of some of these computers. So wish me luck. Oh, man, what a week. We lost the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. Quite a lady. She died August sixteenth, and uh, strangely enough, that's the same day that Elvis Presley died in nineteen seventy-seven. That was forty-one years ago. Uh, the king of rock and roll and the queen of soul. That's uh that's that's not a good day. Well, uh, there's an interesting movie that you should check out if you want to see some great footage of. Aretha in the studio uh, with Tom Dowd. It's uh, The movie's called Tom Dowd and the Language of Music. Uh, it came out in 2003. It's a fantastic movie. Really interesting about the life of Tom Dowd and uh, as recording professionals uh, I highly encourage you to check it out. There's some great scenes in there with Aretha. So yeah, check that out. Tom Dowd and the Language of Music and uh, yeah, Aretha Franklin. Rest in peace. All right, you know that we have some fantastic companies that make the uh, working-class audio podcast possible, one of those being Universal Audio. I want to encourage you to stop on by their website, uaudio.com. You know they're, of course, known for classics like the 1176 and the LA-2A, but, of course, uh, the Apollo interfaces and the DSP satellite boxes of the whole UAD-2 family. So, yeah, check them out. They're at uaudio.com. Also want to give a shout-out to... Gearsluts.com. We do sponsor the sub forum that you may have seen. And if you haven't, stop on by and check it out. It's called Audio Life. And that's at Gearsluts.com. That's, of course, all about everything we talk about here. So if you don't want to talk gear, go to there. Audio Life. There at Gearsluts.com. All right, let's get with it. Let's, uh, Go on over to Canton, North Carolina, over to Lumen Audio, and talk with Creative Sound Lab creator, Ryan Earnhardt, here on the Working Class Audio podcast. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a huge honor. We'll just jump right in. Are you currently located in Canton, North Carolina? Yeah,
1: yeah. It's about 15 minutes outside of Asheville.
0: The town of Canton, North Carolina, is named after the city of Canton, Ohio. I don't know if you knew that.
1: Yeah, I think they gave steel to one of the bridges, and it's a real old town that kind of got started when the factory
0: started, and it's a blue-collar, working-class town. I like it here a lot. Excellent. Well, you're, um, of course... The man behind Creative Sound Lab, which is a YouTube series that has almost 40,000 subscribers. You're, in your bio, uh, you mentioned that uh, Creative Sound Lab is essentially it's kind of a a mixture of a little old school tape op mixed with a little Sylvia Massey and a little John Cunaberti sprinkled in. Tell me more about Creative Sound Lab. How did it come come about? How did you come up with the idea to do that?
1: You know, at the time in 2012, 2013, I was just seeing a lot of mixing topics. I was seeing a lot of, you know, screen recordings and, and kind of breakdowns of mixes and plugins and stuff like this. And I just really wanted to see something else on there. And I said, well, there's got to be something that I could do that would fill that void. And you know, show people and get people excited about recording real drums and old tube amps that some of these tube amps are only a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks and so they're not expensive or unable to be attained. But, you know, a lot of these sounds are very accessible and they can sound amazing. You know, my piano I got for free, but it sounds great. It's imperfect, but I think it sounds better than a keyboard. So I started all these uh, kind of videos with this passion of the fundamentals of recording. Some of the band members that have always asked me, hey, how would you record this? Because they would ask me when they're in the studio, they would I'd say, hey, you know, what do you think of this? Or "Or how'd you do that? So I just start talking to these, these old friends of mine. And uh, that's how I started making the videos.
0: Interesting. And one of the videos, I, I've seen this video, I've seen a couple of them actually before I met you, is the one where you make the pooper time cube. Where you and uh, mixer man go off to a hardware store and you buy a big bundle of hose, I guess you'd call it. I I don't know what else to call it, but uh, you guys make you guys just basically take this giant hose, bring it into the studio, and you mic up an amp uh, with a 421, you put a 57 on the other end, and it's quite quite a pleasant sound and uh, quite a familiar sound at the same time. Eric Serafin and and I
1: started doing videos last year, and I heard about this idea that he used, I think it was Ben Harper, and he just put up the end of the four inch corrugated pipe, uh, 100 feet long, and uh, right up next to the vocalist, and it just bounced back, you know, a couple repeats. And I'm like, we gotta try that, dude. Like, we gotta try it. And so uh, we ended up creating a, a small mini series within my channel, Creative Sound Lab, Called Sound Odyssey, kind of a, a mix between his books and what I do. It's amazing. Like it, it bounces back the sound. You could put a mic at the other end. You can collect it with the the close mic or whatever you're having next to it. The delay comes out of both ends surprisingly. So, I'm currently I'm making a follow-up video of that where I'm hooking up a speaker on one end and a microphone on the other to kind of use it as more of a mixing effect. Where I did it with mixer man it was more of a recording in the live room type of effect where we have this pipe all over the place, everybody's tripping over it,
0: and it's captured with the live tracks Th- that particular effect uh, is something that just about that anybody could do the the trick is is you gotta have the room for it because that hose takes up or that pipe takes up you know a lot of space. I would say if I had extra room to do so, I would love to have. A variety of effects like that that are truly uh, unique, not available in the plugin world. Yeah, and have those like I don't know, maybe I could have one of those buried in the backyard or something.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really into that right now about trying to find things that I can throw up in my attic out of the way, and just run a line to. I'm rigging up my my front room to use as a chamber. And I'm also experimenting with the ideas of, you know, contact mics on pieces of steel and stuff, you know, just anything to get something different at the time of tracking. And it could be an effect. It could be anything that gives you something else that a plugin
0: can't get. I'm a very in-the-box kind of person, and any types of effects that I do in the analog world, I tend to do in the tracking. This is the kind of thing that interests me because it's so creative uh, and it definitely uh, is a kind of a, an homage to what Sylvia does quite a bit, who's, you know, I love her little videos of today I'm going to run a amp through a pickle or a pat of butter or whatever. You know, those are the things that, you know, I think sometimes we can get complacent and we can just say, well, you know, I'll just do it in the box. And it's I've got all these plugins and I don't need all that. But this stuff that you're doing, stuff like that, really my interest. it makes me want to go to the hardware store and come up with different ideas because those are truly where you can be quite unique and differentiate yourself with certain effects from you know the next person right
1: and and I think that there's a point where some of it just gets lost in the mix, and nobody would ever know that oh, this guitar solo is going through a pickle you know like some <laughs> most people won't ever know that, but what I'm really chasing after is stuff that gives people an edge that they don't realize that they have. I heard about this garden hose reverb from one of Sylvia's videos. Um, it wasn't in the book. Have her book. I love it. Uh, Recording Unhinged. She had this video out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like, why didn't I think of that? And it was just this idea that you throw a garden hose under a drum kit and you put a mic on the other end and you tape up the opposite end and sound goes through the garden hose. It's... uh permeates through the hose and it kind of, I guess, rounds out the transients and darkens the sound and you get kind of a room sound. And for me, it was beyond just a kind of a a novelty idea and more of like a practical idea of like somebody that doesn't have the space and they're recording drums in a small room, like this might just give them a real reverb-like effect that's not a plug-in. You know, it could give them a reverb. And so I started chasing down the idea and testing it and kind of developing my own spin on it. I tried a 15-foot hose. I tried a 50-foot hose. And I did a a stereo version as well. And
0: the thing sounds great. It really works. Well, so you do all this in uh, your studio, which is called Lumen Audio. and. This really caught my attention in your bio where you say Lumen Audio is debt-free and located in a former 1920s appliance store in downtown Canton. (laughs) Tell me about being debt-free.
1: You know, it's all about just not spending money that you don't have. I mean, if you don't have the money, then you have to save up for something. You know, I I had saved up to start the studio. You know, I I had a a small amount of cash, but it, it got me basically a pair of monitors, a few mics, and a few preamps. And since then, I've upgraded some of that equipment. So it wasn't even the best stuff, but it got me started. And the idea was try not to upgrade every every half step that's possible, but try to upgrade at least three or four steps at once, you know? So if I bought something, I tried to buy something that I'd still be okay with owning 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. So that was my strategy, is just to use what I have as long as possible. So... There's that, but then there's also, you know, not spending money that you don't have. Then when you want to get something new, you have to be a little more creative. And I've used this, I've used this time and time again, and it's kind of a, it's kind of an ecosystem that I've built here at the studio. And this is way before I did the tutorials. And I was just trying to build up the studio without spending a load of cash. And I had a, a friend that wanted to do some recording and he had probably a dozen old harmonica amps and tube amps. A situation came up where he said that his basement's moldy and his wife's sick of having him around. And I said, well, I mean, my studio is clean and dry. I can just have him hang out here. And so we did that for a while. And then after that, it was like, well, you know, you wanted to do that recording project. What if we did like a trade for the amps? So I was able to leverage the space, my skills to acquire that gear. And it had nothing to do with cash. Another way that I built up the studio was... A similar arrangement with a drum set I did a little something different with uh, amp collector Uh, he wanted to use the uh, studio as like a showroom like a private showroom and so he let a lot of like these holy grail amps hang out here uh you know mid 60s early 60s fenders that sort of thing and in exchange i let him use the studio as a showroom you know a couple times a month or whatever and so that way i got the benefit of having the gear it Made me look great as a studio, but it gave him an advantage of not having to have a two-year-old running around when he's trying to show like some uh, celebrity guitarist that's trying to buy a, a four-thousand-dollar amp. Yeah, you know, they can turn it up in a in an
0: environment that's conducive to that.
1: Exactly, it just allows him to to really you know give it a shot. So so yeah, you know there's there's several
0: ways that you can build up a studio if you're creative. You say in your bio that you're able to cover your overhead costs with only two days of booking. Right. And yet at the same time, you're also making money from Creative Sound Lab. Well, primarily from your online courses, not necessarily from the YouTube videos. Tell me about the, the idea to get into the world of doing audio courses. It's really just
1: the idea that I want to go deeper with people. And I want to put to rest some of these questions that really nag people. When I was doing videos on YouTube, I was kind of coming across this idea that the Glenn Johns method is really difficult to to get right and do it consistently. Uh, it can sound amazing, but to do it consistently, I was just noticing that one day it sounds very different than the other. And, you know, very up the drum set, very up the drummer. Uh, there's just so many wild cards. And so it kind of came up with this idea that, you know, what if I can just develop something that narrows down all the different variables and is able to to really teach people how to do something that eliminates the confusion. And so I really started chasing down, okay, what do I do? That is kind of a no-fails approach to drum recording. I developed this whole system with the XY and near-coincident pairs, you know, ORTF, things like that, that really narrowed down the variables for people. That's really what it's about, is there's all these great ideas about like oh man this this will be awesome and there's so much information out there about what's amazing for this and for that, but what I try to do is really go deep. I test everything. Uh, all the videos have audio examples, and my courses have even more audio examples. And I really just try to narrow it down to say look, here's a step by step kind of thing. Here's why it works, and here's how you can modify it. No matter You know, if you have a small drum set, large drum set, small room, large room. If you have a bad room, you'll have to, you know, pull the mics in closer. So what do you do to adjust for that? So all these little questions. It's basically just an extension of what I love doing on YouTube, but it allows me to go a lot deeper.
0: That seems like a lot of work to put those together.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It'll take me weeks and weeks to do it. And I usually start with an idea. I I wanted to explore the idea of live recording, live in studio recording. And so... It took me a while to test certain theories that I have about, you know, do you get the most isolation pointing the amps this way around the drummer versus pointing this way and how how best should you place the bass amp if you want to use a bass amp in the room? And I found really cool stuff about how to control the bleed of the drums into the guitar mics and how to control the bleed of the guitar mics going into the drum mics. And so it just took a lot of testing. Of course I show all my work and show audio examples and it really is a creative sound lab it's a laboratory of sound.
0: How many uh, audio courses do you have? I
1: have around 11 or 12 at this moment and I did three courses with Mixer Man.
0: I can only imagine so you get the idea you sit down you plot it out once you kind of you know think through all the possibilities and narrow it down to what you're going to do there's still the you know the video recording, the audio recording, the editing. Uh, Then you got to put it out, market it, deal with the fulfillment with, you know, people buying it. That's a big time investment. It's crazy. And any
1: content creator knows this about how much time behind the scenes you you go into making something. Everything with video is going to be a pain in the butt, you know. Like there's nothing easy. And you know, if if I just did screen recordings, it'd be so much easier because I could just wear anything I wanted to. But I'm in front of a camera, so I got to at least look my best. Have the lighting good. I color grade the footage just like a a film uh, would be color graded for like an indie film. Sync the audio. Sync the the audio demos and the experiments. And then finally, it just does it flow. And then, of course, there's just final edits, the uploading. There is so much that
0: goes into it. But like any content creator, whether you're making a record or anything like that, I mean, it's fantastic that you put the the time and effort and thought into this so that once it's up, it's up and it's out there and people can learn from it for years to come.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, That's that's fantastic. You know, it's just it's a resource it's not that i have to meet with people one on one you know back in the day i was having individual conversations with, with band members that were asking questions and now that i've put it on video it's like i can have this and they can be watching it and maybe i'm sleeping or maybe i'm not at work that day but they're still learning and it allows me to have just a greater reach
0: Do you think you'd be able to pay the studio rent with the clients you have if you didn't do the courses?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do. And it's all about keeping that overhead low. If I had made a bunch of investments, now I'm having to make monthly payments. It only causes stress on me, which then I'm just going to transfer that to people. And I'm going to be just riding their ass the whole session of like, okay, <laughs> don't make me do like this massive editing, editing job because that'll make me go over, you know, in time, you know, on the back end and it just suck time on the project. And uh, it, it would just transfer unnecessary stress. Yeah, it's all about keeping the overhead costs low so that everybody can just relax. I think you make better art when you're able to just chill. That's the reason why I go by the day instead of by the hour, because I just say, hey, you know, let's schedule a day, and that way they come in, we don't even have to look at the clock, we can just relax, let's just make sure by the end of the day we have what we need.
0: Shout out to our friends over at Roswell Pro Audio, who helped make the Working Class Audio podcast possible. Recently had the pleasure of using their Mini K47 mic, which is priced at $299, on a Marshall cabinet. And I got to tell you, it sounded absolutely amazing, and that's going to be part of my setup from here on out. So if you want to check it out, go over to roswellproaudio.com. And they do offer free shipping, but if you really want to help our cause with them, Make sure on the checkout when you're buying a mic that you include the code WCA ship, And that way they know that you came from us and you heard about Roswell Pro Audio from Working Class Audio. So there it is. Check it out. RoswellProAudio.com. You're also a family man. You have a wife. You have four kids. And you have, I think, a fifth on the way. Mm-hmm. You are in... Parenting terms, what I like to refer to as outnumbered. Yeah. Tell me about the balance between doing these courses, running a studio, and being a father of almost five children. It's a bit
1: crazy. Two of the kids are my niece and nephew, and pretty much raised them off and on throughout the years. And we're their foster parent, and we've recently turned it into a long-term thing that we're gonna actually raise them in the the long term. And so our family has grown very quickly from two of our own boys to now four, and then a fifth on the way. And man, it's just so much going on between running the studio and doing the YouTube videos and the courses. It's probably two or three different things at once, just at work. Usually what I try to do is I try to really just set aside certain times of the day that are just for family. I usually get up pretty late, probably 10, 11 a.m., and have lunch with the family and just really just take it easy. Of course, I'm up late the night before, so I get the same amount of sleep everybody else does, but it's just the schedule shifted a little bit. And so I start my day out with the family, I spend time uh, with the younger boys then, spend time with my wife, and then I come into work, ready to go, usually knock out a few hours of audio tests or do some filming. And if I can, I usually will spend dinner with the family, and that's usually a couple hour process. I love the routine with the the younger boys of, of bedtime. It's a really cherished time of the day for me and my wife. And I always try to, you know, at least get them laughing. And even if it's right before bed, I usually try to get them giggling because I, I, it's just quality time. And that's what I, I crave with them. Even, you know, if I can't spend all day with them, I'm going to at least make them laugh for five minutes. So and then usually by about nine, nine o'clock or so, I'm back here at the studio and I knock out. It's almost like a split day. Like I have four or five hours, mm-hmm. you know, in the afternoon and then I have some family time around dinner, and then I have another four or five hours in the evening. It's a weird shift between complete chaos, well, controlled chaos at home. Mm. And then, as my friend Eric said, you know, uh, it's the womb, you know, the, uh, the studio is the womb, as he refers to in his books. So it is like a safe place that is super quiet and very, very different. And so there's a totally different energy and I'm still learning how to balance that. Uh, it's going to be, a, uh, I think, a lifelong process of learning how to balance. Uh, does
0: your wife work?
1: No, she's a stay-at-home mom.
0: That's a really hard job.
1: Yeah, it it definitely is. I don't see how she does it. If I stay home for a few days at a time, I just start my mind just starts going nuts. Like, just you
0: know constant yeah. things going on left and right it's a hard job and and i i have to say you know i mean i am i do work from home and so i am the parent that goes to get the kids when they're at school but to only be focused on the kids i know i think that job and being a a teacher to elementary school or for that matter any any grade level those people are amazing and i feel like you know folks like you and i we really have it easy yeah. working <laughs> in studios because we truly enjoy it. And not to say that they don't, but man, it's so much easier than dealing with a classroom full of kids.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, she said recently, I'd kill just to have an hour by myself. And for me, it's, it's the complete opposite. I'm locked in a building, (laughs) you know, with no windows, because that's what studios are pretty much is big buildings with no windows. And there's hours and hours that I don't talk to a soul. And sometimes I have to remind myself to get out
0: and go somewhere. That's a totally different mm-hmm. story. So yeah, we, we have it easy. Yeah, we do. I feel guilty because I'm, I'm an extrovert and here I am working at home in a quiet environment during the school year when the kids are at school and my wife's an introvert and has to sit through countless meetings all day long in her corporate job. It's a little bit of a guilt complex I carry with me. So I'm, I'm sure that there is a little bit of a guilt complex you might have with regards to your wife watching the kids and such.
1: I really try to help her out as much as possible. I mean, I'm only about a five minute drive from her. So mm. I've even been trying to, to walk to work. Uh, It's one of those kind of ideas that that you think is amazing and then you start never doing it. I'm like, okay, I got to actually, you know, start walking to work. But I figured out if I park my car at the studio and then I walk home, then I at least can kind of plan when I start and end my day. But if there's some sort of emergency, Mm -hmm. like, hey, you know, my son has a 104 fever and I got to run him to the doctor or whatever, I can be home within five minutes. So, yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic of being close to home, but being still very separated because it's such a different world here at the studio.
0: I want to talk a little bit about the studio itself. It's a 1920s appliance store, former 1920s appliance store, and it's in downtown Canton. Is this a building you own or a building you rent? No, I, I rent. Okay. How did you come across it? And what was the your experience like with the landlord uh, going into it?
1: <laughs> well, I saw it on Craigslist at one point, and I thought that the location was just too far out of Asheville. There are actually many locations within Asheville that are a 15-minute drive, and for some reason, I thought that 15 minutes this direction was just, psychologically, it was just too far, but it was the same amount of of drive times. Anyways, I, I got over that because a month later, I still saw the same building, and I'm like, you know, it's a cool building. I should at least go check it out. So, I came out here, and Checked it out. And the first thing I wanted to know is how big is the back room and would it make a good live room? And I thought it was just big enough to make a good live room. It was 15 feet wide, 12 foot high ceilings, and about 25 feet deep. The landlord was super cool. So I said, yeah, you know, why not? I'll give it a shot. At the time, I didn't have a building, I was desperate for something. I had a a studio partnership kind of fall through. That was actually a healthy thing because now I have my own building. So it was a good push. And so I said, yeah, let's do it. You know, I was hungry to get the building and started moving in my stuff and painting walls and all that sort of thing. It's been a great experience. The landlord's super cool, and I pay rent just by dropping off a check underneath his
0: doormat. Old school. Oh, yeah, real old school. Do you ever see a a possibility in the future that you would consider uh, buying the building?
1: Yeah, I do. You know, I'm not sure if... If it would be an option or not, I've kind of talked with them about it in the past, but I also have to keep my options open of like, okay, well, if I'm not able to, am I okay with moving? And what would I do? My wife and I are always, you know, considering the option of like, well, what if I do have to move someday, what would we do? And can we find a piece of property that happens to have a a big barn that we can fit the interior out with, you know, insulation and have 16 foot ceilings or something, you know, like some structure on the property that could function, as a studio that, you know, I could potentially move into. But of course, this downtown, there's so many businesses that are kind of going out because it's all based on foot traffic and that old, you know, customer walking in the door model that there's just not enough foot traffic to support the businesses. So I could still probably take my pick if I wanted to, but I love this building. So
0: I hope I get to stay here for a while. The other side of that is if there was a lot of foot traffic, the value of that property would probably go up to many people and it could potentially force you out. So exactly. it's That's a rough thing. I think that's why a lot of studios that, especially ones that are rentals, end up being built in industrial park areas where there's just not a lot of foot traffic and the rent is consistent. Sometimes the neighborhoods aren't the greatest. But a downtown area, that that falls in, into a slightly different category and uh, has the potential to stay as is or at some point have property values shoot through the roof with development.
1: And of course, that would affect the things we've been talking about, about the stress on me and the clients with my overhead going up. It changes a yeah. lot of things. So with that distance of being away from the main city, the main attraction of the area, I'm able to kind of use that
0: strategy of keeping my costs low. Tell me about the pivotal point that got you into audio professionally that took you over the line.
1: Well, I started out as a drummer, you know, a musician. I always was, was just really passionate about drumming and playing music, but there was this secret, like, fantasy of having all these mics on your kit, right? Like, every drummer wants a million mics. And of course, with that comes the ability to record and make good recordings of that. So, Before too long, I had an eight-channel interface. I just started making recordings, and I was doing that for several years, and I eventually got into, like, electronic music. Even though I don't play guitar or sing, but I play drums, I would make, you know, electronic music and program stuff, and I got really into some sound design, and I would lay down some drum tracks, and I was kind of creating, like, some of my—I was kind of mimicking some of my— influences like Peter Gabriel with like massive drum sounds and stuff you know and putting them to electronic music uh, a little bit different spin but so with that it kind of bridged me into how to mix how to EQ how to use compression you know and so the pivotal point was when a friend of mine wanted to open a studio he wanted to work at a studio and another friend of mine had all this gear but he had I think a kid and a baby on the way And his wife said, I want all that crap out of the house. So it was a three-way partnership where I supplied a two-car garage. The other friend who curated this, he worked the studio. And then the third friend, he provided the gear. And so between the three of us, we had a studio. And through that, I started learning more about how to record acoustic guitar, how to record vocal, electric guitar, all the gaps I'd already had drums somewhat good because I was familiar with it. I knew how drums were supposed to sound. I knew when it sounded funny, when I had to go in there and change the mic. That was a strength of mine, but I had to learn all these other skills. So it was that three-way partnership that all of a sudden I had tons of gear in my house. Again, like I didn't spend any money on that, right? But I was able to leverage friendships and partnership to be able to have that at my disposal. And from there it was like, wow, like this is this is great. This is a skill set I want to learn and get better and better at. But also as an entrepreneurial, I wanted to do more partnerships like this. And that stuck with me even I mean, even to this day, that's what I try to do. Is is there any way that we can work together to have a symbiotic relationship?
0: I love how you got into that. Tell me about the music scene or the recording scene between Canton and Asheville. What's that comprised of? What are your clients primarily made up of?
1: When I first started the studio, I did a lot of kind of regional bands. They would drive in, and I just I just fed off of referrals a lot. Hmm. And there was probably two or three branches of referrals that I I fed off of for a few years. And at the time, Asheville was it, it was weird. It was like really undefined. There was there was some indie rock stuff. There was some funk stuff. There was some electronic stuff. I couldn't really get a bearing on it. And I would ask people, like, what is it that we do well? And they would say the same answer that, that I always thought is, well, I don't know. Like, it's kind of a mix. Recently, there's been this kind of defining event for our community called the Tuesday Night Funk Jam. It's a place that musicians get together every Tuesday night and they have a funk jam. It's been huge. For some reason, it's just really triggered this funk scene out of Asheville, like, you know, and it's, it's got, you know, soul, R&B, like anything related to funk we have. And it's, it's really grown up now, you know, for my, my clients, uh, it's still a mix, you know, Uh, it's a mix of all sorts of stuff. But what's interesting is that I've kind of shifted in that way of thinking of clients because I do so much content creation. Now that's really become my main business is creating videos, creating courses testing out ideas and teaching people so instead of seeking out clients full-time I'm trying to develop content full-time and with that I'm able to say well in the past I would have tried to seek you out and charge you X amount but I'm actually going to make some money off this course or whatever and I want to hire you you know hire you in for the day it's kind of shifted the model and the way that I think of running the studio instead of I mean I still have clients but in a lot of ways, I'm trying to really live out that model of, okay, how can I help the artist? Because it's always a struggle to come up with the funds. So how can I best help them? And I think in turn, help best their art and their creativity.
0: I like that. I like how you're able to blend those two worlds together with your clients and your uh, your courses. And then if you're, of course, making a, a decent amount of money off of your courses, It definitely gives you a lot more flexibility with your clients if they've got limited budgets, which inevitably people do these days.
1: Right. And, you know, it's not like a gold mine. It's still a lot of work to make these courses and I have to constantly work to be able to provide for my family. So it's always a chore to to keep up with, with the task of paying bills and providing for my family for sure. But I think that it's definitely an opportunity to take something that's on a global level and bring it and support the local musicians because they're playing at breweries at 530 and 6 p.m., you know, and I'll say, well, I got to make a course on, you know, let's say recording vocal. How about I bring you in for a couple of days and hire you? And yeah, it's, it's a gig for them, you know, but it's a little bit different shift. So I, I've done that. And then, of course, I've done whole projects where it's like, you know, I want you to leave with a whole song or, a, a, you know, three song EP or something. So they have it as an asset when they leave. You know, it's a mix of different approaches depending on the client and where they're at and, and kind of where I'm coming at with content creation.
0: Hey, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Audio-Technica. They help make the working class audio podcast possible. You can find them at audio-technica.com. They of course offer headphones, microphones, turntables, turntable cartridges, as well as many accessories that you might need like headphone replacement cables and headphone pads. The great thing is, is there's no hesitation required. If you see something you like, you can buy it right there on the website. So check them out, audio-technica.com. And thanks for supporting our friends at AT. You've already kind of gone over your financial philosophy with keeping your overhead low and not buying unnecessary things. When you do need to buy stuff other than used, what other kind of deals do you tend to uh, come across? Are there any cool flea markets that you come across? Or you also mentioned doing trades. Tell me a little bit more about that.
1: I almost always try to buy something used if I can. If it's something that I know can't get damaged too easily, then I'm like, yeah, why not? You know, why not get it used? Dynamic mics, it's a no-brainer to get it used. A friend of mine told me that even a ribbon mic, like an old ribbon mic, I mean, it cost 150 bucks to get it re-ribboned. So even the most fragile part on it is, you know, not too expensive. I mean, you're talking about a price of a 57, a little bit more. So it depends on what it is, but yeah, like as much as possible, I'll get it used. Now for the trades that you mentioned, one time I saw this, this, uh, this drum set and I was trying to get something other than my modern uh, drum set. It's a 2000 Birch Pearl kit. And it sounds great, but I just wanted something, a different flavor. And I found something from the mid-70s, this Slingerland kit. And I saw the guy was just pricing it at, you know, 500 bucks. And I said, well, this is on Craigslist. And I said, hey, you know, I'd love to get this. I noticed that this has been on here for a while. And if you're a drummer that's in a band... I happen to have a recording studio and I'd love to maybe do a trade and I'll do it at three times your value. I'll give you $1,500. Sure enough, he's like, okay, yeah, tell me more. (laughs) And sure enough, like (laughs) we did it and I got a drum set out of it. So I had to, you know, work my ass off for it, but it was still a way for me to use sweat equity and the resource of the studio and all that. It was a way for me to leverage all that so that I don't have to pay cash. So yeah, I mean, paying cash is a little bit more quick and immediate, but if you don't have it, then maybe you have time. And if you can use that time for something, you just got to find the right person that you have what they need and they have what you need.
0: Yeah, that's uh, kind of a lesson for those who are just starting a studio to, you know, if you're trying to build up. It's a way to do it is definitely a trade.
1: Yeah. And I'd say that the hardest gear to get by far is actual studio gear because, you know, the people that own the studio gear, you're not going to go up to them and be like, hey, I'll trade you studio time because they already have a studio. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that for for me has been like a used market thing of like, okay, where can I find just a ton of these items that are out there on the used market? Where can I find these things? Where are maybe big studios, they're just clearing out a bunch of gear and maybe I can find it there. Tell me about your decision-making process when choosing gear. Usually starts with a lot of reading. You know, I think a lot of us do a lot of reading on the forums and we read reviews and such, but I've learned that when I actually get the piece of gear, it can be very different Mm -hmm. than expected. For some reason, I, I, I got in my head and I guess people were saying that the the CAD M179 was the poor man's 414. And I got the thing and it sounded nothing like the 414. So, you know, you have to really take these gear reviews with a grain of salt because there's no telling what's actually going to sound like in your studio and with your ear and your experience. And the people making those reviews, uh, they may not have the same experience or maybe a different perspective. It's really difficult to know which way is the right side up on a piece of gear. But what I look for Mm -hmm. is how well has the piece of gear done historically? I mean, is it something that a lot of people use? And how adaptable is it? Can it do just one thing or can it do lots of different things? Is a microphone good at, you know, tons of things or is it only good for kick drum and bass guitar, for example? And then from there... Can I find it used or is it something that I have to really search for? Every once in a while I'll get lucky and I'll find something that's really cheap on Craigslist or whatever, but usually it's it's a very slow process for me buying gear, actually, because I don't like to spend money and it's kind of painful for me to to really make that decision of like, okay, like I'm going to pull the trigger and spend the money. And you have to consider that clients may not care. If you buy this or not, like they may not know like anything about this. And so in your head, you might be thinking, oh man, if I just got, if I just got this one mic that's $5,000, they would care and they would come and record with me. And so sometimes the client doesn't exactly know what the gear is and you don't exactly get a return on the gear. But, yeah. you know, I, I do say that the, the gear could make your life a lot easier because some gear is definitely you know, better for the task than others.
0: So I'll give you a choice. I'd like to either know about some hard lessons learned along the way or your choice to tell me about some of the daily habits you have that kind of motivate you and keep you going. So, what'll it be?
1: <laughs> well, I can tell you right now. One of the things that I'm I'm doing right now is having times for inspiration every day. And I have a a pattern actually uh, written out right on my desk here. And it's just as simple as, you know, come in, turn on the lights, get a snack, and then right away uh, have kind of a warm up time for my brain where I reacquaint myself with why I'm actually doing this and be inspired for a minute. And so I have about maybe 20, 30 minutes that I sit down and I just say, okay, let's just read an article and just get really invested in the article. Don't, you know, usually I get like, just kind of flipping through and looking at all the pictures and stuff, and for this, I just want to you know let's just dig really deep and really just hear a story and really get into something and really
0: reconnect with my passion a sense of mindfulness with regards to uh, educating yourself or inspiring yourself with uh, recording. right right.
1: And this is kind of a hard lesson learned as well because. I found myself doing this, where I saw amazing content being put out, and I was immediately intimidated by that. And I think this happens with musicians, where they go and see a drummer or a musician, and they say, "Oh, I just want to quit." But you have to keep going, and it should hopefully be a source of inspiration of what you can be. I mean, the mistake of like limiting my exposure to content and you know it's easy to get stuck in your own world if if you just want to focus and 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 just Mm -hmm. have your own rhythm but you have to step back and get some perspective from time to time because i could take what other people are doing and then build on top of that kind of like with the sylvia massey garden hose reverb is she had just one mic and i said well okay that's really cool i want to build on top of that and so i kind of made my own spin on it and so whether you're a musician or a studio owner, I mean, you could always be in this place of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living in the shadow of somebody else that's just kicking butt, but you have to just take it with humility and be like, wow, okay, so what are they doing and how are they doing it? And I want to strive to be that.
0: I, I think it's important not to be beaten down or beat yourself up over what has come before you. But literally try to improve upon what you see, what you hear, and create, whether you're creating, you know, recording videos for a YouTube channel or, or, or a series of courses that you're selling. Uh, it could be for anything. Yeah, it really could. Ryan, thanks again for, for being with me today. If people want to know more about you or look you up, uh, what are the best places to go to?
1: Yeah, my website is creativesoundlab.tv, and I'm also on YouTube just uh creative sound lab. And then Instagram is creative sound lab with underscores between each of the words.
0: And what about a website for Lumen audio? Uh, that's just lumenaudio.com. I'll put all of that in the show notes. And for my listeners, you can go check that out. And uh, oh, this has been great. Ryan, thanks again. It's great to uh, have a lengthy chat with you and great to have you on the show. Yeah. Thanks. It's a huge honor for me to be here. All right. Take care. Ryan Earnhardt here on the Working Class Audio podcast. Thanks for being with me today. Be sure and stop by WorkingClassAudio.com and pay our sponsors a visit by clicking on one of the links there. I'm talking about Audio-Technica, Universal Audio, Roswell Pro Audio, GearSluts.com, and the License Lab. And we've got to thank Mr. Cliff Truesdell for the music and Mr. Chuck Smith for the voice at the beginning of the show that you hear there every time. Those guys are great. Anyways, thanks for being with me today. And uh, until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear,